Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So today's episode is all about how to snap out of that feeling of plateauing in your life. So it could be in any in anything. I had a listener question recently about feeling that they've done all this work on their self-love journey and doing all these things for themselves and they felt like they were plateauing and almost regressing. So how to snap out of that and then level up to that next point in your life. That is the whole topic of today's episode. I'm going to be talking about how to identify that you've plateaued in one or more than one area in your life, what it actually means, what you can do about it. I'm going to compare plateauing to other things so you know what it is and what it isn't. Um, And then I'm going to give you some points that you can go through to actually help you kind of reframe how to look at something and how to kind of like pause, look at everything that's going on, change what you need to change, leave what's working for yourself. And then within a very short amount of time, you'll go from being like, oh, I feel stuck and stagnant and in a funk to, wow, I'm feeling really good now. I'm taking action. I'm doing the things I need to be doing. So that is what I'm talking about today. Don't really have a life update. Well, I do for my Sydney people, actually. So very excitingly, I'm actually going to be speaking Um, on a panel at an event in Sydney on August the 3rd, which is a Thursday. It's at 5.30 at the Commons in Sydney and tickets are free. So you just have to register. If you follow me on Instagram, you can go on my bio, the link in my bio, and you can click on that link and you can register for tickets for the event because it is capped capped attendance. So you definitely need to be registering for tickets. I'm not the only person. There's a a few people on the panel, so they're going to have their people coming as well. But it's going to be at the Commons in Sydney, which is like a really cool kind of like co-working space vibe. And it's hosted by Squarespace and Startup Creative. And it's just going to be epic. We're talking about small businesses, how to create your own online brand, how to create your own brand presence, how to zone in on your own community through use of, you know, everything online, like your website, everything. Uh, So yeah, I'm really, really pumped about it. And if you guys are in Sydney and you would like to go to this event, it's the Thursday, the 3rd of August, 5.30 at the Commons in Sydney. It's free. There'll be food, drinks, it'll be a vibe, Q&A, and then, um, yeah, hopefully get to chat with you guys. Oh, and there'll also be like a little book signing thing as well. So I'll be signing books. And so if you are coming and you want to bring a book for me to sign it, I would love that and I can get to meet you as well. So that is the life update. Anyway, let's get straight into the brain fact of today and then we'll get into the topic of today's episode. So the brain fact of today is all about sound-induced hearing loss. So it's this damage to the hair cells that are the reason age-related hearing loss happens and also sound-induced hearing loss. Um, And this is due to years and years of accumulated exposure to loud noises. So if you're super, super young, even though you're being exposed to loud noises – you may not be getting the effects of the hearing loss or the hearing damage until later on in life because it is about repeated exposure. But basically we've got these little hairs, also known as hair cells, in, and they look like hairs but they're obviously not actual hairs. They're kind of these, you know, I, couldn't, I wouldn't even know how to describe it but when they have like every time I've studied it in animations, they look a lot thicker and shorter than what an actual hair looks like. But 
They're they're tiny. They're microscopic. There's little hair cells in your cochlea within your inner ear. And you're born with roughly 15 to 16,000 of these across both ears. Now, these cells are responsible for the detection of sound, like high and low you know, loud, soft, different frequencies, etc. But there's so many that there's quite a safety net of how many of these cells can be damaged before you even become aware of your hearing loss. So around like 30% to up to 50% in some cases have to be damaged in order for you to notice this loss. But the issue is that once you notice the loss, they cannot be repaired. Once these hair cells go, there is no bringing them back. They cannot be regenerated, at least not yet. Until science finds a way to be able to regenerate them, which is yet to happen, there is no way of getting these hair cells to grow back because it's not like actual hair. They don't keep growing. It's one and done. Now, we all know that feeling like when you've been to a party or a concert or anywhere with like loud sounds, like a sporting event, you know, in big crowds, whatever. After a few hours, once you've left and you're no longer being exposed to that sound, you probably have noticed that your hearing is different. So it's maybe like muted or muffled or this or like a dull sound or a ringing in your ears and I remember when I used to go clubbing a lot in my early 20s back in my Red Bull days we'd go out all the time when we'd get home my friends and I would be texting each other and we would be like oh my god how bad are the chirping monkeys because the that ringing in our ear would be like and that was this you know obviously the effect that the loud repetitive sounds had on our ears and we've all had that like that ringing sound and we used to genuinely think that it sounded like kind of like screaming or chirping monkeys that's what we called it um but yeah it's scary to think the repeated damage I was doing to my ears there would be times where we'd be sitting at a nightclub in front of a speaker screaming at each other trying to have like a dnm but anyway would never do that again Good times, good times, great music, great classic hits. But anyway, would never be doing that again, sitting in front of a speaker like that. But the reason that you get that sound, the the ringing, the muffled sound, the muted sounds or, or effect, is that those hair cells, which normally bend in response to sound waves entering the ear, like the vibrations, in this case will bend further when they're exposed to really loud sounds. And if it's really loud for a while, then they've had to be bending and being vibrated for an extended period of time, way more than normal. So they bent quite a bit and they don't bounce back straight away. It takes a little bit of time for this to happen. So eventually they do bounce back and that is when your hearing feels normal again. So these hair cells basically vibrate in response to sound waves or vibrations that are coming in and each hair cell depending on the intensity of that um, vibration so if it's a really loud sound you're getting a much higher vibration a much more intense vibration these hair cells then send a signal to the brain and that's how sound is interpreted by the brain you know it sends it down to the nerves the auditory nerves which then sends it to the corresponding brain regions and that is how sound is detected now the problem is when there's this repeated exposure and too much of this bending with excessively loud sounds if if it is this repeated exposure that is what seems to destroy these hair cells over time they either bend way too much or they shear off completely and then they're fucked they're never coming back now there's two kinds of hair cells we've got the inner Hair cells, which is three and a half thousand roughly per ear, and they collect sound 
and send it to the brain through something called the auditory nerve. And then we've got the outer hair cells whose job is to amplify sound. So that's picking up a quiet sound and making it louder so you can hear it and make a sense of that quiet sound. And they're also responsible for differentiating pitches in sound. And they're also in this specific formation of something resembling like a Y. And that Y formation is repeated like thousands of times throughout the cochlea. And if that Y formation is damaged, so if certain hairs on each Y were to be damaged, then the cells cannot perform properly. They have to be in that Y formation. There's a lot of things that have to happen for these cells to perform properly. They can't just be scattered at random. So even if, you, even if scientists could design a way to get those hair cells to grow back, it would have to be in the same place in that formation in order for them to perform the way they're supposed to be performing. Another thing that can happen is that when hair cells are overstimulated, other than just the bending, they can become paralyzed and stop working and then it takes a period of low or no stimulation for them to recover and to be, begin working again. But basically what it is, it's this like really intense vibrations that it's just too much for the hairs to handle that either bend them or shear them off completely. That is what ultimately is causing the damage. You're basically weakening these hair cells after repeated exposure. Now, this is not nerve deafness, although some people would call it nerve deafness because the actual auditory nerve is intact. It's the inability for these damaged hair cells to communicate these vibrations with the nerve that then sends the signal and to brain regions, which can then interpret it as sound. But it's actually the communication between the hair cell to the nerve that causes the hearing loss. So the message just doesn't get sent to the nerve in the first place. So it's not nerve deafness. Now, when too many hair cells are lost, because then there's obviously there's the point where you notice problems with your hearing, but then if you take it to the next level and there's just more and more hair cells that are getting lost, no matter how loud you speak to someone, they're not going to understand you properly if too many are gone. So you know when someone's really old, they've got a lot of hearing damage. If you are screaming at them, that does not help them interpret what it is. Earlier on when there's some damage, speaking louder may help, of course, but to be screaming at someone that's got extensive um hearing damage due to noise exposure, repeated noise exposure and aging, it's just not going to help because what these hair cells do is they, they're helping differentiate between sounds like a p and a f and a b, you know, they're not able to do that anymore. So the sounds itself are not clear and they're not being interpreted clearly. So it sounds like just a bit of a mess in general. And that is where things like the cochlear implant come in to, you know, aid with all of that. But the hairs themselves can't do that anymore. So obviously it's important to try and protect those hair cells. And if you protect these hair cells and don't expose them to excessively loud sounds repeatedly, then you're able to preserve your hearing for longer. So don't wait until your hearing gets bad and think, oh, what can I do about it now? Because it's just too far gone. And then you just have to be in like, that, well, you can't even be in repair mode. You've just got to be in protection mode so they don't get damaged any further. Although scientists do believe that it's pretty much inevitable that almost everyone will have hearing loss in old age just due to the fact that we live for so long and these hairs do not regenerate and they are 
just by default, even if you're careful, going to be exposed repeatedly to these vibrations and loud sounds. Obviously, people that really take care of their hearing, um, that's not going to happen until a lot later in life versus someone who's constantly exposed to loud sounds or, you know, at work, that's a really big one for a lot of people. If you're in a place with really loud sounds constantly at work, that's one of the worst scenarios because it's many hours multiple days a week you know so obviously clubbing is bad but work-related um sound exposure and in the military as well is they're some of the worst ones that's the brain fact for today good times okay so let's talk about plateauing what is plateauing what does it feel like so plateauing is the feeling of something that's not exciting anymore it's not fulfilling it's maybe even boring or it feels repetitive and non-eventful and you just don't feel like you're having that much fun or you're getting anything out of it that's kind of what plateauing feels like and it's you know on something that normally would used to make your heart feel really full no longer does it doesn't have that effect anymore so this can happen in any area of your life. So it can happen in relationships, in your job, in hobbies, in the city that you live in, the home that you live in, your routine, your friendships, anything. And it could be in something that seems to be exciting, but when you're living it and you've been doing it for a while, you might end up feeling like you're plateauing. Like you could be someone who's a digital nomad, who's always traveling to all these places and you think from the outside, wow, that's awesome. But you yourself, after doing it for a while, might be like, I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't get excited when I get to a new city. I'm not excited. You know, so it could be anything. But basically, plateauing is a sign that you are ready for the next phase or you're ready for the next step or you're ready to level up to the next thing. It's not to say you need to stop doing what you're doing and change your life and do something different. It could mean that. But it could also just mean I need to do what I'm doing here, but I need to grow. I'm craving growth here. I've outgrown this and that's why it's making me feel a little bit flat and a little bit uncomfortable. Plateauing, that feeling of plateauing is I have outgrown this. Now, before we get into it, I want to talk about the difference between that feeling and the feeling where it's like, oh, the grass is greener on the other side. The grass is greener on the other side feeling is where you're not enjoying something, you're not appreciating something, and you're wanting something else that you can identify. You're like, that thing is what I want. It's like you're living in a city. For example, you're living in a city and you're like, I need to move to another city because I'm really miserable. And then you move to that other city and then you look back at the city you used to live in and you're like, ah, oh, that actually looks like it's pretty fun. Like maybe if I went back, things would be different and I'd really enjoy it. And then you move back to the original city and you're like, fuck, fuck, I shouldn't have moved. That other city actually looks pretty fucking good. But the issue is that you're just taking yourself everywhere you go. So if you're not paying attention to what the actual issue is, a lot of people who have that grass is greener on the other side are never happy because the issues are in what is happening within themselves, either with their mind or with their behaviors, their activities, their relationships. And they're just taking that from A to B, from place to place. So so often it's this recurring feeling throughout their whole life that the grass is going to be greener on the other side because they just don't like where they are, basically. And no matter where they go, they're not going to like it. So that's the difference. It's this inability to enjoy where you are in that moment. Plateauing is where you're doing something where you did feel good and you saw progress and you were either enjoying it or finding it valuable and you loved it. And now it no longer feels the way it used to. It doesn't have the same effect anymore. It doesn't um, 
And in some cases, you might even feel like you're regressing because it feels like, oh, I should be feeling good. It used to make me feel good. Why isn't it? And then it's that feeling of like, oh, my God, am I going backwards? Am I, what am I not doing right? Why is this not giving me the same effect that it used to? So it causes a bit of doubt. It sometimes make, makes you feel like you're going backwards. Now, my next point is around the need for balance. So we need to have certain things in our life that are spontaneous and ever-changing. And then we also need to have certain things in our life that are stable and consistent. And when we have a balance of the two, we are feeding our needs and we are happy. So our needs for security and stability help calm your mind and it helps you feel safe and it helps you feel grounded and it helps you feel comfortable. And then our need for spontaneity and adventure is what taps into our innate human need to grow and to evolve and to learn and to have a purpose. When you don't balance those two things in your life and it's all stable and consistent and all the same, then you're going to feel bored. You're going to feel stagnant. You're going to feel like there's nothing new in your life and you're not getting that adventure that you have this innate craving for. And when it's all spontaneity and there is no consistency and no stability, then you crave stability because there's just a little bit too much or a lot too much uncertainty in your life. And that is what leads to an inability to focus, an inability to grow in one area. It leads to anxiety about your future, about your relationships. And then you're less likely to to seek out beneficial adventure that you actually enjoy. And you're less likely to seek out that kind of freedom because you feel like your life is unstable. So let's look at an example of this as far as a relationship goes. People who have a super, super stable life and potentially like a, a what you would maybe deem to label quote unquote boring in the sense that there's nothing exciting that goes on. And then on top of that, have a really super stable, monotonous love life are very likely going to feel quite bored with their partner and feel like their relationship has plateaued and they're going to want to seek adventure and they're going to think that their partner's boring, they're not feeling really fulfilled. But then someone who has a very intense, high-pressure life, whether it's with career or whatever, and it's always changing, maybe they've got a volatile family or friends and, um, and there's always a new challenge or a new adventure, and then they have a really you know, stable, monotonous, grounded partner will really appreciate that stability in that partner and they will love that the most in that partner. They'll be like, you're my safe space, you're my sounding board, you're my, you know, when you feel like you can go home and that person's like your, you know, the person that you can relax with and you can talk to anything about and they'll always make you feel calmer, they'll always make you feel better. So notice the two contrasts there. Someone with a life that they deem to they deem as boring and uneventful is probably going to seek out more adventurous people or even volatile people or even toxic people when it's this hot and cold and never a dull moment. So see the importance of balance here. You need to have both in your life. And that's why I'm really big on things like routine and habits. So that way it opens up other areas in your life to have that freedom and consistency because when you have discipline and when you have safety and monotony, then you have the other areas of your life where you can do what you want and and be free and be wild and be adventurous. If you can have your morning routines where you do the exact same thing every morning and you have, you meditate, you go outside, you walk, you bang, 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 bang. 
then you have this sense of security within yourself. You feel a lot calmer. You're not like, oh, what am I doing next? Everything's a surprise. I don't know what I'm doing. And you already wake up with anxiety. No, there's this, you've, you've set your day up where you're calm, you're level-headed. And then when it comes to other opportunities in your life, you're like, oh, I feel really calm. I feel really grounded. Now it's time to grow and explore and have fun. So there's the balance that you want to be striking. Now, in order to grow, you need to have signs telling you that you are ready to grow. And often you want to get to a point where you have some level of confidence or mastery over a certain thing to feel ready to take that next step. And plateauing is one of the best signs that this has happened. And in order for you to throw yourself into something new, you have to have that feeling that you've outgrown something old. Well, you don't, not in every case. There are some people that are really good at being like, I'm going to leave before I get over it onto the next thing. And that takes a lot of self-awareness. But for a lot of people, it requires this like, oh, I've outgrown it now. I need to do something. And that's kind of your cue. Um, You can't outgrow something and not outgrow it at the same time. So I want you to have a look at your life right now and think, where is it that I'm feeling stagnant? Is it in my relationship? Is it in my friendship? Is it in my self-love journey? Do I feel like the things that used to excite me as I was embarking on the self-love journey no longer excite me? Do a bit of a list and try and see if it's a lot of areas in your life where you're just feeling like dull across the board or if it's specific things that you can pinpoint. Then I want you to write a list of where am I genuinely seeing growth because you're not going to find growth and feeling stagnant in the same place. That's not going to happen. So ask yourself, where am I genuinely feeling actual growth? You know, is it my relationships flourishing? I'm getting closer and closer with my partner. I'm feeling like we're just taking it to the next level every time. Or career-wise, I'm just, you know, progressing and progressing. And when I talk about growth in career, I'm not For example, let's say you're someone that keeps getting promoted and promoted and promoted. That's not necessarily growth if you don't interpret it as growth. You could be someone that you're like, oh, I've just mastered it. I'm so good at it that I'm getting promoted by default because I'm just so good at it. But I'm over it and I feel like I'm just plateauing. I'm stagnant. So growth is internal. It's it's where you feel that you are growing and evolving and you still have things to learn and you have st- you still have areas to improve in. So it's not the external signs of growth like you just got a promotion so you mustn't be over it, you must love it. No, not necessarily the case. It's it's all about where you feel internally, I'm kicking goals here. I'm I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry to learn more or to grow more or to expand more on this thing. We as humans are really, really in- interesting creatures because we want success, we want mastery, but we also, deep down, whether we'd like to admit it or not, we want to have earned that thing. And when you earn it, you know how to manage it, you know how to deal with it, you've gone on that journey, and the journey to get there is what's made you gain so much, it's what's been so fulfilling about it, whether it's money or whether it's success or whether it's fame or whether it's relationships, you want to earn it. And in, in more cases than not, if you look at lottery winners, statistically, when someone wins the lottery, they, coming from a place where they normally were not making much money and were not managing a lot of money, they often will blow all the money that they won and be back to where they were in less than two years. I think it's two to three years is kind of roughly the time frame statistically where more lottery winners will lose their money and, and or spend it, maybe not lose it, but spend it all and be back where they were in just a handful of years. And the psychology behind this, they believe it's got to do with the mindset around 
because you hadn't earned it, you mentally weren't ready to be there. So the way you acted with that money would be different to if you had earned it and you like you got there progressively through progressions. The same goes for a lot of the things that we want in our life. Sometimes we think, oh, I wish I had success land on my lap. But then if it did, would it feel the same way that if you had earned it? So I feel like with a lot of things when we're plateauing, we've gotten to that point where we've worked for something, we've earned it, and then it's just stayed there, stayed there, stayed there, stayed there, stayed there, and nothing's really changed. So this is now your sign that you need to level up and take something to the next level or change something. If you have a hobby that you're like, but I used to love this, change your hobby, pick something new. You can cycle through things. You might do rock climbing for a few months and then you might change it to do this other thing for a few months and then you might change whatever you want. But if it's a hobby, it should be something that makes you feel like you are able to switch off, do something that brings you a lot of joy. It shouldn't feel like something you're like, oh, I'm plateauing here. It's not bringing me joy. Then it's no longer a hobby. Now, the next thing I wanted to remind you of is the three pillars of happiness that I've spoken about in the past, and I'm going to remind you about it again if you haven't heard it. So this is what I deem to be the three pillars of happiness, which I believe will equal a really fulfilling life. And if you are touching on all these three, all these three things every day or as often as possible, then you're a lot closer to feeling happy or you're happy. So they are connection, purpose, and growth. And you want to be servicing all three things all the time. Not necessarily in the same amount. It's hard to have everything even all the time. But you want to be making sure that you're tapping into each of those three things as often as you can. Connection is with all kinds of relationships, including your relationship with nature or pets and the relationship with yourself. But primarily, the relationship with your inner circle with people. That's that's where you're going to get a lot of joy from. So connection and real connection, okay? Purpose, that's I think a lot of people struggle with purpose, but I've got a whole, whole episode on finding your purpose, so I won't delve into that. But tapping into things that tap into your purpose, the thing that you know makes you feel fulfilled, small or big, doesn't matter. And growth, where am I growing? And to know if you're growing, it should feel like a challenge. If it's easy, you're likely not growing that much or you're not growing at a rate that you're comfortable with or that you're happy with or that, that satisfies you. Growth should feel uncomfortable. It should be growing pains. You should be putting yourself in a position where there is discomfort in order for you to gain something. And you should be doing that every single day. And if you're in a position where you feel like, I've plateaued, I'm whatever, then how uncomfortable are you making yourself, like on purpose? Because I genuinely believe that there's two kinds of discomfort. One that comes from being directly in control where you cause the discomfort in order to grow and the other where you're kind of more in a reactive state of mind where you feel uncomfortable because you are avoiding short-term pain. So you want to look at your life as always preferring short-term pain for long-term gain over short-term gain for long-term pain. And an example of short-term gain would be avoiding something that is uncomfortable like a whole bunch of things that are good for you, getting out of bed early, exercising, you know, not eating that thing that you really want to eat or whatever it is that you consider to be uncomfortable, resisting temptation, not being on your phone when you really want to be on your phone, doing the task when you really don't want to do the task because it's difficult. All of that is then going to benefit you later on 
and it's going to be long-term gain. It should be uncomfortable. If it's uncomfortable in the now, it's likely going to be comfortable in the future versus if it's comfortable now, it's likely going to cause you discomfort in the future. And what I mean by that is you're going to feel well, right now, potentially stagnant, or you're going to feel like disappointed in yourself, or you're going to be frustrated at yourself, or you're going to feel like you've lost time, or you're going to feel like you wasted your potential. And when you're in a position where you feel stagnant, you could potentially be in a position where you are wasting your potential. And nobody, nobody likes that feeling. Nobody feels satisfied knowing that there is potential there and it is wasted. So when you're plateauing, Often it's because you think, well, I've gotten my life to where I'm satisfied and now I've just kind of mastered every area. I don't feel like I'm growing enough in any real big area. I don't feel like I'm really fulfilled in every area. And I'm also aware that I'm capable of experiencing or doing more. Because if you genuinely didn't think you were capable of doing anything else and you were at your limit, you wouldn't feel stagnant. You wouldn't feel, oh, I'm ready for growth. And sometimes we don't realize that this is a call to grow, but that's exactly what it is. And sometimes the beauty of this is that if you're feeling stagnant, sometimes you only have to change one thing in your life to feel really fulfilled. It's very often not every area in your life that needs to be changed. And the reason for this is because we're not talking about you being depressed with the life you have. We're talking about plateauing. We're not talking about you being extremely unsatisfied. We're just talking about you reaching a point where you're like, oh, so often there's a lot of things that actually are good, but because there's not growth or adventure throughout the board, then you're like, fuck, I'm now I'm bored or now I don't feel like I'm making any progress or now I'm not growing. So for a lot of people, there's a lot of areas and you, I asked you to kind of think up a list of, you know, earlier in this episode, but there's a lot of areas that are doing just fine and they're, they're chipping away perfectly fine and you've got your stability, you've got your, your security there and it takes just introducing one new thing or one new challenge or one new kind of adventure or project that could turn everything around. So for me, I, there's been times where I've been able to do that. And often, for, like personally for me, that's come through normally travel, but, but more so than that, it's come through studying. Every time I felt like oh, I'm a bit stagnant, this and that, I start to learn something new. I start to study something new. Nothing personally for me, nothing brings me more satisfaction than gaining knowledge in something. I fucking love it. And then I teach it. Then I talk to people about it, whether it's friends, family, on the podcast. I like live and breathe it and it's just my why, you know. So you can find that for yourself. And I would argue that for a lot of people, knowledge and educating yourself on something is the ticket to feeling like you've grown, that you're progressing, like you're back on track again, that you've got a fire in your belly, that you're feeling really pumped and excited for your future. And when I talk about knowledge, I'm not talking necessarily about going and getting a university degree. I'm talking about any topic that you think, I'm going to be fucking passionate about this one thing and I'm going to get as good as I can about this one thing. Get on fucking Duolingo and be like, I'm mastering Arabic and that's that. It's done. I'm fucking getting into it. Or pick... Uh, physical skill or it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what it is. But I know that for me, the where I can see so much growth and gain and satisfaction 
is through learning, is through knowledge. So I would highly recommend that. But I would argue that for most people, if you try to change everything at once, it would actually be unpleasant. I think you're better off implementing one big change or introducing one new thing and that it will be enough to turn everything around for a lot of people. Because like I said, we're not talking about a dissatisfied life. We're not talking about a life where you're absolutely miserable and you're really unhappy and you feel like you're not being treated properly. I do talk about that on other episodes, but that's not what we're talking about today. So often if it's just that you've plateaued, you were making steps and now it's done, this is your opportunity to be like, I'm ready for the next step and what's that going to be? I'm going to swap something out or I'm going to introduce something new if I have the time for it, otherwise you swap it out. And I start with that, but I have to commit and I have to go all in. If you try and change absolutely everything, you might, A, change certain things that actually didn't need changing and then be miserable because you're like, that actually was working perfectly fine and now I've made my life harder. You might, B, find it too chaotic because there's no consistency and no stability and then you're uncomfortable. Um, Or C, it's just too overwhelming that the things that you actually probably would have enjoyed, you don't enjoy because it's too much on your plate in one go, okay? So remember, you want to have something where you're growing and it should be uncomfortable, not painful, but it should be uncomfortable where you're learning, where something's just not clicking yet. You've got to put effort in, okay? Um, You want to make sure that it's not the grass is greener on the other side, but instead it is, I'm genuinely plateauing here, but I can, like I was happy with things and now I've stopped seeing growth. You also want to make sure that you have that balance between, you know, adventure, seeking adventure, excitement in your life, the new freedom, that feeling, and then stability and consistency and security and safety. And when you strike that balance, you'll feel really happy. And then again, you want to make sure that you're touching on connection, purpose, growth, connection, purpose, growth, keep tapping into that. And you're going to find that in a very short amount of time, you're going to start feeling really satisfied with your life. Okay. Embark on a project and get involved, get really into it. The more into it you get, the more you'll be able to reap the benefits from it. Don't do something half-assed. If you're going to introduce something new, go all out. Hopefully that helped. Hopefully that got you in the zone to try and introduce something new into your life and to change, change things up a bit. And it doesn't matter how amateur you are when you start something new. If anything, it's really fun starting at the lowest level because the only way up The only way is up and you start noticing changes and improvements so much faster than when you're really good at something trying to get better. Okay. So sometimes I really encourage people to start from the novice level because that's where it's most exciting. That's where the real fun is. Um, Cool beans. Let's get straight into the listener question of today. Okay. Time for the listener story. Hey, Alexis, I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time and it has helped me through some of the hardest times in my life. I have a question on forgiveness. For a bit of a backstory, my mum and dad have been divorced since I was around 12 years old and my mother moved interstate not long after the divorce. So I have been living predominantly with my father. Being the eldest daughter, I feel like over time I unknowingly stepped into the mother role for my two younger siblings and a partner role with my dad instead of living like I should have as a teenager. As I've gotten older, I have developed a lot of resentment for my parents for a whole bag of issues which then caused a huge strain in the relationship with my dad. It then got to the stage where my father blew up and told me to find my own place. After I left, we didn't speak to each other for 10 months. 
Without trying to sound like a victim, I'd like to add that I feel like I have been treated differently to the rest of my siblings, especially since my older brother was an extremely difficult and abusive child slash teenager and was always tolerated. Recently, I got back in contact with my father purely because I wanted to feel a part of my family again. And I feel like I was completely disowned from my entire family. But the relationship is very surface level as I still hold a lot of resentment. There is so much more unfair treatment that I could disclose, but there's just not enough time. Bottom line is I'm now 20 years old living an independent life and I want to move on with my life so bad and truly forgive my dad for my own peace of mind. I want to completely let go, have a good relationship with my family and be able to trust people again. I've been to counselling and have made some progress, but I'm still not at the stage of forgiveness. How can I truly let go? Okay, firstly, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. That sounds like a fucking, like, bit of a nightmare, to be honest. But I want you to look at, there's two things that are here and they don't necessarily go hand in hand. Forgiveness is one thing. And then having a good relationship with your family is another. Forgiveness is completely up to you. Having a good relationship with your family takes two to tango. It takes you and it takes your family. And that is not in your control. Forgiveness is in your control. Having a good relationship with them is not. So you've got to decide. There's the possibility that you could forgive and just walk away and have a very limited or have very limited contact with your family for your own mental health, but not harbour any resentment, find a way to truly be able to let go and feel really free. But then there's the other thing where it's, I want to forgive, but I also want to be mending this relationship. The difficulty there, and of course you can want this and you can aim for this, there's nothing wrong with that, it's your relationship with your family. But the difficulty there is that you'll be trying to work through the steps in forgiving somebody which I'll go through in a sec. But at the same time, you're dealing with someone who is very difficult to deal with. You're dealing with someone who you have this whole history of, you know, pain from your childhood. By the sounds of it, sounds like there's no accountability on their end whatsoever, on your father's end at least, um, to the extent that he even kicked you out of home, didn't let you live a life as a teenager. There was differential treatment between your siblings and that may or may not still be continuing. It sounds like it is, but I'm not sure based on what you've said. So there's a lot going on that is not conducive to a healthy relationship. It's not a 50-50 relationship where you're equal in this relationship. It seems like he seems to be calling the shots, having it the way he wants to have it. He seems to be like the victim in it and you're the one with all the problems and, you know, he seems to be shoving everything on you. So that in and of itself, whether you can forgive him or whether you can't, is not pleasant. It's not going to be enjoyable. And even if you forgave him, you still have to expose yourself to this kind of a relationship, which is not healthy. So unless he is willing to, A, own up to his mistakes, potentially even if you can't do it, the two of you seek help in getting to a place where you have a healthy relationship again, if he's willing to hear you out, if he's willing to admit his wrongs, unless he's willing to do that, you're going to continue to suffer the way you are currently suffering in this dynamic. That won't change. So you've got to figure out what is it that you want. You know, it's, I feel like you want to move away from this dynamic because you said, I'm now 20 years old living an independent life and I want to move on with my life. You can forgive and harbour no further, you know, hatred or resentment or whatever it is that you're feeling towards somebody, in this case your father, 
and still not feel the need to have a close relationship with somebody. Because mending a relationship and forgiving someone are two completely different things. And something else to note, often, unfortunately, you have to, well, fortunately or unfortunately, but you have to teach people how to treat you. When people don't have a very good standard of how to treat others, they will treat others how they are told to treat them. So in other words, your brother got away with murder because your brother wasn't willing to, you know, be the caring one, be the nice one, be whatever. So he got away with murder and your father treated him accordingly, didn't didn't put anything on him, didn't, you know, whatever, because he was like, I'm going to be a dickhead, take it or leave it, this is it. So your father's like, I'll take it. You, however, were extremely caring. You became really responsible. You took a massive load of responsibility, put it on your back, and you were carrying that through your teenagehood. And your father looked at that and thought, yeah, great. So then his expectation of you was a lot greater than his expectation of your brother because you unwillingly and maybe not intentionally, but you through your actions were expressing that, I'm here for you. I'm reliable. I'm really nice. I'm, you know, and when someone is really nice and really helpful and really caring, there is also, they run the risk and there's, and I'm not saying don't be nice and caring, not at all, but they run the risk of being taken for a ride. So when you're really nice and caring and lovely and warm, you also have to really know how to draw a fucking line and draw a fucking boundary and teach someone how to treat you when the chips are down because, I know a lot of people who have such a good heart that get fucking taken for a ride because they, they, their kindness gets mistaken for weakness. So you have to demonstrate my kindness was never a weakness. That was actually my strength and I'm a lot stronger than you give me credit for. So if you can't enter this relationship as a healthy father-daughter relationship, I do not need to be here. Take it as a healthy relationship where we work on it or don't take anything at all. I don't have to put up with your shit anymore. I'm a fucking adult. Be gone if you can't grow up the way I have grown up, okay? Now, when it comes to forgiveness, as frustrating as it is, you have to say to yourself, you know what? Firstly, it's done. What's done is done. Can I change the past? No, I can't change the past. Then you have to look at it because when you forgive someone, You don't have to say what you did was okay. That's not what forgiveness is. I think a lot of people struggle because they don't agree with what was done to them and they suffer because they're like, they feel such a divide. They're like, I'm in so much pain for what you did to me. And then for me to turn around and forgive, I feel like I'm saying that it's okay, but you're not. You can still acknowledge that what was done was not okay. You'll learn from it. You'll grow from it. You become stronger for it. You learn life lessons from it. It's character building, all the above. But you don't have to say what you did was okay. You can still say that was not okay. However, I am choosing to move on from this. If I harbor hate, I suffer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to acknowledge that it was wrong, but it's done. What's done is done. It's in the past. We cannot relive it and we can't rewrite that story. So for me to continue to relive it in my head again and again and again is only causing me pain. So I'm going to forgive for my sake. 
And I also don't feel the need to be bringing something that up that you've done in the past again and again when it gets me nowhere. The only time people should be bringing up the past, I think, is in a constructive environment where people are willing to grow and learn and be accountable. But if your father's not willing to do that, then you gain nothing from it anyway. It sometimes causes you more pain when you try and reason with somebody who can't reason. It's very um, – we've all been there. It's fucking painful trying to do that. So basically what I think – I have a whole episode on forgiveness, so definitely check that one out because I go more in depth. But what I think is that to answer your question, you will be able to begin to let go of this and how it affects you. With time, you will. You will be able to forgive him in the sense of because you're doing it for yourself because you don't want to harbour hate and you don't see the benefit in harbouring hate to your father – I can't guarantee if you'll have a good relationship with your family because it takes their input as well. It takes two to tango and you cannot be the doormat who keeps coming back and keeps trying to mend everything and keeps trying to fix this And because you already were doing that your whole life and, you know, they haven't seemed to appreciate that. So it's possible to have a healthy relationship but it's going to need a lot of self-awareness from their end or his end. Um, and will you be able to trust people again? Absolutely. I feel like when you go through the process of forgiveness, you start to realize that trust and forgiveness is very much on your end. It's very much something that you have within you and not trusting someone because somebody else has caused the damage really only ends up hurting you because it stops you from having really open and vulnerable relationships. But once you get used to the idea that forgiveness comes from you, a feeling of trust also comes from you, then you'll start to feel more equipped to move forward, feeling more confident with how you interact with other people, how you engage in relationships moving forward with other people. But one thing that I really do think impacts your ability to trust other people is how often you let people who you don't trust continue to take you for a ride. If you are in a situation where you do not trust maybe your father in this scenario or you do not trust certain people in your life but you continue to engage and you continue to try and get close with them, then it will be hard for you to trust other people because you're like, I'm really struggling to set a clear boundary here and I know that I'm going to be hurt again. So it's really hard for me to just let my wall down and be vulnerable and then that's going to carry on into other relationships. So you kind of have to teach people how to treat you across the board. You can't have one person where you hold them at a high standard for how they treat you and then another person where you hold them at a very low standard where they're allowed to walk all over you. It doesn't work that way. There is a standard and that standard has to be across the board. I don't care if they're your fucking father. I don't care if they're some random on the street. There is an absolute standard of what you will put up with and what you will not put up with. There should never be someone that is allowed to bend that standard because it fits them. No. Okay. Someone can disrespect you all you want, but it's your decision if you're then going to continue to interact with that person. That's up to you. Okay, so you need to make that decision. Hopefully that helped. Definitely check out the Trust podcast and definitely check out the Forgiveness podcast because it will go way more in-depth with those things. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you for listening to today's episode. As always, love you so much. Remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.